We are going to begin our worship this morning by singing hymn number 119 in the hymn book. It will also appear on the screen. Spirit of truth and grace, come to us in this place as now in Jesus' name, God's people gather. Please stand if you're able as we sing. Now let's come to God in prayer. Let us pray together. Loving God, it's another Sunday morning and we have come together to bring you our prayers and praise. In some ways, it's a bit strange to set aside a building as a meeting place for prayer, to arrange the furniture and symbols just so in order to feel that we're getting it right. Surely we could worship you anywhere, on a hilltop, by a river, or in the park. And yet we're glad that somebody had the idea to build this church, to make a place where people who are trying to follow Jesus, and those who are just curious, can meet together, out of the wind and weather, to sing and pray and think. Surely if we can worship you anywhere, it is here. Loving God, it isn't always easy, this worship thing. 
Sometimes it seems that everyone else knows what to do, how to sit and when to stand. Sometimes everyone else seems so much more holy than we feel on the inside. Sometimes our minds wander and sometimes we can't sit still. But you are still here to welcome us. Loving God, help us to worship you today, to sing well, to listen carefully, to pray seriously, to laugh heartily, and to love generously. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus, our friend, who taught his followers to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I don't have a DVD this week. Um, Scripture Union, in their wisdom, give you five DVDs for seven sessions. So I'm afraid it's me and Millie in conversation, sort of. So, Millie, it's been a busy summer, hasn't it? All those uh, stories about Blizz the Husky that Gemma was telling us, yeah? Lots of stories from the Bible, too. Can you remember who we've met on our adventures? You think we should ask the people out there if they can remember who we've met on our adventures? Okay, challenge time. Can you remember any of the people we've met on our adventures this summer? Freya. Stephen, what can you remember about Stephen? Anything? Brilliant. Stephen was telling people about Jesus and was arrested for it. That's right. That's right, Millie. Stephen started off working as a table waiter, making sure that the Greek widows got enough food to eat. It's a bit like, a bit like Glasgow City Mission all those years ago. Yeah, good, brilliant. Thank you, Freya. Who else can people think of that we've heard about? They've been that unmemorable, these stories. <laughs> okay, Millie, shall we help them out? Right, okay. Pardon? Saul Paul. And what did we learn about Saul Paul? Or Titch. Yeah. yeah, so we heard about Paul, who was called Saul, who was a really mean man who was going around address, arresting all Jesus' followers and trying to do nasty things to them. And suddenly he realised that was a bad thing to do and he had a complete change of mind and he changed his name and he went off on lots of adventures telling people about Jesus. So you can never be too bad for God. Anybody remember anybody else or shall I run through them so we're not... St- Timothy, yep. Timothy, who was young, yep, very good. Young mixed-race man who went with Paul on a big adventure and later looked after a church himself. Philip, yep. Philip, who travelled far and wide telling people about Jesus. Peter, the one who discovered that you can never make too many mistakes, that you can still have more chances. And Cleopas, the one we first heard about a long time ago, which Millie and I told you about, 
who was very, very sad and couldn't see a way forward from a really sad place. But he realised that somehow God was still with him. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six people, Millie. Yep. Do you know what they've all got in common? Yep. They did all try to follow Jesus. Millie, well done. That's right, but it's not what I was thinking of. Um, Anybody else think what they've all got in common? They're all men. Six men. Well, that's a bit rubbish, isn't it? So, in, let's have a move on a bit, shall we, Millie? I've got to use my script or I'll get lost. In those days, in the country where Jesus lived, it was the men who had all the important jobs and all the power. It was men who were in charge of the church and men who went on adventures. Even though Jesus had lots of friends who were women and girls, all the people we've heard about are men. Now, I don't know about you, Millie, and I don't know about them out there, but that seems a bit unfair to me. But our last story shows us that even when it seems like it's impossible, too unlikely for words, it just might happen. So we're going to hear the story about Lydia. Lydia was a woman who originally came from a city called Theatera, in what we would now call Turkey. Some time ago, she travelled a very, very long journey over the sea to a place called Philippi in Macedonia, and there she settled down, got married, and had a family. It was a Roman city, and in a Roman city, women had much more freedom than they would have in Jerusalem or Judea. Some people think that Lydia was a widow because she was in charge of a whole household, but we don't know for sure. It might just have been that she was a very strong lady. We do know that she was a businesswoman and she was involved in preparing and selling the finest and most expensive of fabric called purple. Now that's a strange name, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit confusing because sometimes purple could be red. It was just a whole range of very expensive fabric dyes to make special material only the richest people could afford. And do you know, sometimes it got used to make cloaks for kings. Wow. So that's what Lydia did. Lydia sold this fabric. Lydia also loved God, but there wasn't anywhere in the city where she lived that she could meet with people to say her prayers. Nowhere at all. So each Sabbath, they would get ready and they would walk out of the city down to a river and they would sit down and worship God together following the patterns of the Jewish people's prayers. One day, the women were saying their prayers when they looked up to see some men coming towards them. They looked foreign. One of them was quite young, and the others were all quite a bit older. And the women were a bit scared. But one of the men smiled at them and said, Hello. And it was Paul. Paul said, Hello. Can we join you to pray? So Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke and maybe some others joined the women. And soon Paul began to tell them stories about Jesus. Lydia listened excitedly. And as she did so, she knew deep down inside that she wanted to be a friend of Jesus too. She was so excited, she wanted everyone in her household to be baptised, washed clean with water to show that they wanted to follow Jesus. She went home and told everyone what she'd discovered. All her children, all her servants, 
all the slaves they owned, in fact, everyone who lived or worked in her house, lots and lots of people, and they all became followers of Jesus. Wow. She invited Paul, Timothy, Silas and Luke and their friends back to her house where they stayed for a while before they went on more adventures. Sometime later, after Paul and his friends had been arrested and put in prison, they went to Lydia's house again and she made them very welcome. Lydia stayed where she was in Philippi, opening her house to people who wanted to find out more about Jesus. And a new church was born right there on her own doorstep. Paul and his friends would never have thought that a woman could do what Lydia had done, started a prayer meeting, shared stories of Jesus with her whole family, even started a church in her own house. But she did. Maybe sometimes we're a bit like that. We think we know the way things have to be. But Lydia's story shows us that nothing and no one is too unlikely for God. And that right here, right now, there are adventures waiting for us as we too try to follow Jesus. Did you like that story, Millie? Oh, good. Shall we sing a song? All songs have their stories of how they came to be written and I understand that this one was created at a worship workshop that took place here in Hillhead many, many years ago and it certainly could be a song about us. I was trying to find a a hymn or a song that mentioned something about unlikely people in it and this was the one that I found. We have sung it before but not for a long time so perhaps we'll stay seated as we sing it. As many stones, the edges rough unhewn, may bear that awkward shape, lend others strength. Build up your church, Lord Christ. So that at length, the various shapes harmoniously attuned. Sorry, there's some big words in this. That we may be raised a temple to your fame, whose worship will give glory to your name.
Okay, we're going to go to the various zones now to continue to explore our theme in the ways that are most uh, helpful for us. If you're feeling creative, um, you might want to make your way to the mezzanine where you can customise your own tea towel to take home. If you're feeling active, you might want to make your way through to the memorial room where we have got lots of toys and lots of paints and messy stuff for playing and some old t-shirts to protect your clothes. If you would prefer to do some colouring or word searches or um, just ponder the Bible text and some questions, then make your way into the quiz zone, which is in the snug. And if you would prefer to listen to me talk, then you might need to move to make your way into the contemplative zone, which is the main trist area. So we'll have some music as we move, and then after around about 20 minutes or so, we'll come back together to engage in a final joint act of uh, response to the whole series. The story of Lydia is just a few verses at the start of Acts 16, and yet it must have been deemed significant by the author, as it's the first of three conversion stories that arise when Paul, Silas, Timothy, and by implication anyway, Luke, travelled to Macedonia in response to Paul's vision. Given that what is recorded for us in Scripture is always selective, the author must have made a deliberate choice to include this story, which, if we have the eyes to see it, reveals a lot to us about the unlikely turn of events that takes place here. Philippi was a Roman colony in Macedonia and had been for at least 100 years at the time this story takes place. Under Roman law, which was exercised here, Many women had considerable rights not afforded to their Jewish sisters across the sea. Any freeborn woman who had three children and any freed woman who had four children, don't ask me the logic, but that's what it was, was granted certain rights, including being allowed to undertake legal transactions. And it was this that enabled Lydia to practice as a dealer in purple, perhaps as a franchise for the manufacturers back home in Theatera. There's lots of speculation about how Lydia came to be in charge of a household, and some people conclude that she was a widow. But if so, she was a widow of means and influence, running a business and overseeing not just her own immediate family, but a small community of servants, employees, and almost undoubtedly slaves. She was a middle-class entrepreneur, free to live as she chose. Lydia wasn't Jewish, and yet she's termed a God-fearer, somebody who believed in God, the God worshipped by the Jews, rather than any of the numerous Greek or Roman deities, which would have been more natural for somebody in that context. 
It's probably made her quite unusual amongst her peers, since the story infers that there was no synagogue in Philippi. Instead, she and other women would go out of the city to a river where they would gather and share in the ritual Jewish Sabbath prayers. Where were the men? In fact, were there any men? In order to form a synagogue, by which we mean the gathering, not the building, it was necessary to have a quorum of ten men. And if that wasn't possible, it didn't matter how many women were present, you couldn't discern a synagogue. So what we actually discover in this story is a small, dedicated group of women, probably some of them Jewish and some of them Gentile, meeting together to pray, knowing that their gathering will never formally be recognised, but doing it anyway. Quite a feisty woman now, Lydia, I think. It's into this unlikely and not entirely promising situation that Paul and his friends arrive one Sabbath. Discovering these praying women, they begin a conversation with them, tell them of Jesus, and at least one of them, the foreign businesswoman Lydia, responds favourably to what they have to say. So much so that she and all of her household, children, servants, slaves, and anyone else over whom she had authority, are baptised into the name of Jesus. And so is born a new church. Not one that needs a quorum of men to invoke God's presence or take charge, but one in which a woman takes a leading role. In fact, maybe the leading role. Understood in its historical context, this is as radical as it is unlikely. And perhaps the real surprise for us, given our own conditioning and 2,000 years of being told about his behaviour, Paul seems just to go along with this. He doesn't say, oh, well, that's nice, Lydia, but now you need a man in charge. He just goes with it. There are all sorts of ways our thoughts could go from this story this morning about who or what it is that makes a church a church, about what rules are useful for churches and what rules are a flipping nuisance, about how it might be possible to engage with spiritual seekers who don't appear in our churches, people who might not even fit in if they did come to our churches. Lots of directions. In this story, we have a group of devout women who have no place where they can meet to pray. In their culture, they can't legitimately form a synagogue because they're women. And it seems there are no men around willing to lend their presence to help them to do so. And I find that both intriguing and challenging. It makes me wonder, who are the groups of people who might love to be part of a church but who, for whatever reason, find themselves meeting at the equivalent of a river, never quite licit, never supported by those who could support them. I wonder if there are groups to whom we could lend our presence to make them licit in our own society. Now, I'm sure there will be answers that trip off our tongue because certainly I have a a lot of standard answers I would give in response to that. The people I think of who of as being on the margins. Lydia, 
the middle-class businesswoman, wealthy, savvy, and seeming successful, would not be very high on my list, if I'm honest. And I suspect I'm not alone. I know that I can be so guilty of thinking, well, Jesus came for the tax collectors and sinners, the poor people, the sick people, the vulnerable people, the socially excluded people, that I forget that Jesus came for the Lydias of this world too. The people who seem successful, the people who are spiritually searching and yet can't access organised religious expression for one reason or another. Perhaps they're away on business trips, perhaps they're looking after family, who knows. In this story, we meet a group of women who are gifted and experienced in running their own affairs. And they're not going to fit a nice stereotypical synagogue, because in a nice stereotypical synagogue, the women sat at the back and kept quiet. And if they dared to make a noise, well, you know fine well that Paul had thoughts on that one. I suspect that even Paul, who had led them to faith of Christ, would have really struggled to cope with them long term. Can you imagine Paul, the person who thinks women should be kind of seen and not heard, suddenly has all these feisty women to deal with? But it is tricky, isn't it? When new people come into our church with ideas and enthusiasm that don't quite fit with the way we do things around here. So how should we respond? Is there a place for, as there is in Cornwall somewhere, a surfer church? Is there a place for messy church or biker church or any other targeted church? How do we cater for those whose musical tastes offer a soft rock praise band and at the same time for those who really would like an SATB choir and an organ? How do we offer opportunities for worship that engage those who yearn for stillness and not alienate those who thrive on experiential worship or on thoughtful sermons? Part of what we've been trying to do this summer is to find a way in which our existing diversity of ages, learning styles, personalities and theological persuasions can be expressed and nourished within a single corporate act of worship. We know there aren't any easy answers to that, but it hasn't stopped us trying. Lydia, for the early readers of the story of the church, was something of a shock. She was female, foreign, emancipated and influential. A woman with very different expectations than those who had grown up going to the synagogue every week. Perhaps she is an example of the people we're called to engage with. People who've got little or no experience of what happens inside these doors. People who may even in the past have been turned away when they tried to cross the threshold. But I also wonder if she, and indeed all the other characters we've met this summer, in some small way reminds us of ourselves, in our own inner strangeness, our own search for meaning, our own longing to be accepted just as we are. There's no suggestion that Lydia ever left her home in Philippi, nor that she ceased to enjoy a prosperous life as a businesswoman. Perhaps, above anything, she reminds us that our lives don't need to change radically to be part of the unlikely adventure that is the Church of Christ. 
that curious combination of flawed humans doing their best to try to follow Jesus in a confused and confusing world. And so as we reach the end of this summer of exploration, we're going to pause to pray using words this week. To pray for the varieties of people we've met, knowing that sometimes we could be any one of them. So let's pray together. We pray for those who feel they have no hope, for whom tragedy, illness or other adversity has left them afraid, angry, lost and confused. Remembering how a stranger comforted Cleopas showed him how to make sense of what seems senseless. Show us how we can walk along others and each other to help them rediscover hope. Or how we may listen to the voice of those who walk offering hope to us. We pray for those who feel they are unforgivable or who cannot forgive. Remembering the words of Jesus to Peter that we should forgive too many times to count. Show us how to forgive and love ourselves so that we may also love and forgive others. We pray for those who feel they're insignificant and worthless, too ordinary to matter. Remembering Stephen, the table waiter, who made the most of the opportunities that came his way. Help us to value ourselves and all people as of equal worth, delighting in different personalities and skills, enjoying the variety of human life. We pray for those who seem far away, literally or metaphorically, for loved ones in distant places, and for those who feel estranged, even from those closest to them. We remember Philip who reached out to people of other nationalities and cultures, discovering that God's transformative love and redemptive power know no limits. And we ask that we will dare to trust that that is so. We pray for those who seem to be beyond the pale, too bad ever to be forgiven or changed. Those who have drifted into religious or political extremism, bigotry or hatred, violence or abuse. Those whose lifestyle choices bring only harm. And we remember Paul, the fundamentalist extremist whose life was transformed. We also remember Ananias and Barnabas, who befriended and supported him, asking that we might be as them to others and others as them to us. We pray for those who feel they're the wrong age, too young, too old, too somewhere in the middle, that they don't fit in and aren't valued in the community of faith that's the church. We remember Timothy, a young man of mixed race who travelled with Paul and Silas, experiencing amazing adventures and in time becoming a leader in the church where all ages were present. Help us in our all-age church to find our worth, 
and to value those whose needs and desires may differ from our own. And we pray those who feel it's too unlikely that they can belong. For ourselves in our own insecurity. For those who traditionally the church has excluded. Those who aren't male. Those who aren't married. Those who aren't heterosexual. Those who don't have children. And also for those who we unwittingly neglect because they seem so sorted, so confident and so successful, or simply because they're just not like us. Help us to remember Lydia, a God-fearing, fomenting woman whose faith led her to hear of Jesus. May we be open to meeting those who gather outside the city, by the river, allowing them to make their own communi- take to their own communities the good news we so long to share. We offer these prayers and the thoughts and emotions we have in our hearts this morning in the name of Christ. Amen. We're at the end of our summer of all-age worship, and it seemed right to me that we should do one activity all together to draw that together, something that would express our unity in diversity, something that would be unique and precious to Hillhead, that, that when it's eventually put together properly, we can keep and display and cherish. This is a picture of a community quilt. If you type community quilt into Google, all sorts of interesting images appear. And this is one where a community has just created panels that are significant to them. Uh, looks like a heck of a lot of work's gone into them. And then they have been stitched together to form a wall hanging. And here's another one. Creating a better future together, it says, where people, again, have made their individual panels and brought them together, and then somebody stitched the letters over the top. They can be complicated, they can be funny, they can be simple. This one reminds me of those school tea towels you used to get, where, or Sunday schools and churches even used to do, where you all draw a stick figure of yourself and then they appear on a tea towel and you sell it. Clearly, some community has done a load of self-portraits and collected them to form a quilt, a community quilt. But they can just simply be patchwork quilts, and this is one of the images that popped up when I typed in community quilt. So what I'm going to invite you to do in a minute or two is go to one of the stations, whatever age you are, whether this is your normal place of worship or whether you're a visitor, that's fine. We're very happy for everybody to be part of our quilt. And on the table there, that side, by the servery and also slightly raised up on the stage, are squares of fabric and Sharpie pens. What I would just like to invite you to do is, if you can write, to write your first name. Um, If, like me, you have a name that you share with somebody else, if you can put an initial, that might be useful, but you don't have to. 
If you can't write, or you prefer not to write, and you want to go for the faces, feel free. It doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong. And we will also get some names done for the folk who are not able to be with us today, and that's very important that we draw those in. But when you have um, done your name on a piece of fabric, if you'd like to come and arrange it in some kind of design on the, the table at the front, that would be great. And, and then after the service, I'll take it home and add to my numerous projects that require to be stitched up. Uh, we have got some music which will hopefully play as we do that. Loving God, present with us always and everywhere. We offer to you these gifts of money, and we offer you our community quilt in its 
creation. Asking you accept both and employ them as expressions of our commitment to continue to follow Jesus in a world that is confusing, scary, and sometimes bewildering. So we offer them in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, closing hymn is number 100 in the hymn book. Hopefully, I've got the same version of the words on this one. That would be helpful. Uh, One more step along the world I go. And please stand if you're able as we sing together. God, who travels with us through the whole of life. God, who in Jesus tells us stories and shows us a different way to live. God, who never says never and whose spirit inspires us to love and service. Bless us now as we leave this place to live the truths we believe in the everyday world of which we are part, now and always. Amen.